So I get the privilege of kicking off our, our new series, um, and it's about one of my favorite subjects. Actually, it's about my favorite subject. You ask my husband, it's my favorite subject, and that's Jesus, because Jesus is amazing. Somebody agrees with me. At least one of you agree with me. That's good. That's a start. <laughs> but Jesus is the one who bridges the gap for us. He is the one that is fully God and fully man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jesus. I almost want to do like the wrestling thing, like <laughs> the one, the only Jesus. Like, come on, it's Jesus. Like, we got to get excited about that. But we got to start at the beginning, okay? So the whole reason for Jesus started at the very beginning. Adam and Eve made a mistake. They fell victim to deceit, and they believed a lie, that they were not already like God. And the whole Bible, this whole book, is the story of how God made a way for us to come back to him, to restore his family, right? It's the whole thing. This unbelievable demonstration of love because you got to remember that God is a father who wants his family and he wants his family with him, right? So if you've been in church for more than a minute, you know what comes next. There's a father who wants a family. There's a gap. So John 3, 16, right? God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be with us. That's super exciting that Jesus came to be with us. So we're going to talk a little bit in the next few weeks about who Jesus is and why he matters and why he's so special and why I am so excited. And we're going to start today in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll finish up in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. So while you get there, whether you're like me and you're still using this, the paper version or you're on your device, if you want to turn to um, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, I want to give you a little pre, uh, prologue, is that the word? Like the little beforehand, right? A little introduction of Hebrews chapter 11. We call that chapter the Hall of Heroes. And in that, there's this list of all these people who lived by faith. So you're talking about Abraham and Noah and Rahab and King David and so many people who lived out this example of saying yes to God and doing what didn't make sense because God asked them to. So they lived by faith. So, all right, so you ready? Are we there? All right, let's read. Therefore, since by, set, by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's a lot, right? Like, if you just look at all those pieces and parts, like, we could, be, we could make a whole series just out of these couple of verses. But what I want to point out is that 
You see, there's this great cloud of witnesses that we talked about that lived by faith and died by faith, and they modeled this journey for us in their willingness, and they didn't do it perfectly. Like, it's important that we know that, that it was messy. They didn't always get it right. I mean, King David's a perfect example. It wasn't just that he was an adulterer. He was now an adulterer who committed murder. Like, he kept making these mistakes, right? But we're surrounded by them, by these people of faith. So let's go back to verse 1. And what I want to say, the last thing I want to say about the cloud of witnesses is that the ones in the Old Testament died while they were still waiting. Like we talked about that they lived by faith and they died by faith, but they were still waiting for that faith to be fulfilled. So the gap is still there, right? So Adam and Eve fall prey. They make this mistake. They do this thing. And they take action based on that. So they, they hear the lie. They believe the lie. And then they make choices because of the lie. I know there's got to be somebody besides me who's like that because right here. They got caught up in that which entangles. That's what the verse says. The sin, the lie, it starts with the deception, the lie, the unbelief, but that's what leads to the sin. Let me say it differently. So have you ever done something that you've never done before, and you're really unsure about it, and you're feeling really insecure? Like you try something new, and you're like, I'm going to go try this thing, and I'm not so sure about it. Can you put the picture up? So that is me. And we've talked about the half marathon a lot, but this picture is really important because I'm about to run 10 miles for the first time ever. I have done the research. I have read blogs. I have a coach. I got a trainer. I know all the people. I've asked all the opinions. I have done all the things, right? And I'm wearing all of them, (laughs) right? Right? So I've got the really expensive running shoes. I've got the compression socks because I have problems with my feet and, you know, we want to have circulation for all that distance. And then we've got the knee braces because, you know, I've beat my knees up a lot over the years. And then the straps on my shoulders are actually for a two-liter camelback that has also in it a high-calorie, high-carbohydrate protein bar. And in the pockets that you can't see on either side of my legs are electrolyte gummies in case I might get dehydrated because that two liters is not enough right? I've also got what you can't see is a hat because while I wear glasses, so I can't wear sunglasses and I need to be able to see and I got to keep the sweat. Like I am wrapped up in all of this, okay? It was the worst run of my life. Like David, the running coach is laughing at me right now. It was the worst run of my life. I have run three miles a million times, but by the end of three miles, My feet felt like I was running on glass and they were on fire. I was so hot that I thought I was going into heat exhaustion. Every part of my body hurt. Everything in me was screaming. And then I started crying for no reason whatsoever. I have no idea how that happened. And I'm standing there and I'm freaking out. I'm going, really? I feel like I'm supposed to be doing this. You told me that this was supposed to be, and this is not working. I walked most of it and was so discouraged, (laughs) and was so discouraged 
because I thought there is no way I'm going to be able to run the race that God has set before me. There's no way now that I'm going to be able to get to these 13 miles. But what's interesting is between that moment, this was beforehand, after this, after the nine miles that I successfully made it through, to the time two weeks later when I ran 12 miles, I learned something. You got to throw off all the things that entangle you. I was so caught up in my own head about what I was doing that I actually made myself incapable of doing the thing that God had called for me. Anybody else ever? And I'm glad that me and Pastor Jen are the, oh, it may be Kermit too, yeah, okay. So that's the sin that entangles, right? So if we focus on what is before us and, and all of the things so much, what do we lose? We lose perspective. The only thing we can see then is the problem. The only thing we can see is, is our perspective of the problem, even worse. Right here. Neurologically, scientifically, if you look at something and you're hyper-focused on it, everything else actually blurs out and the rest of your senses stop functioning at their best. So you literally can no longer notice that there's anything else but this, this problem that's in front of you, this difficulty. That's, for me, that was the moment, right? But sometimes what we think is still too big. There's still too much. You're like, nope, that's great, you were running. But what I've got is too hard. It's too much. Well, let me take you to verse 2. Read with me. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know, something's really interesting about that verse right there. Jesus tells us to look at him, and he tells us how. Because he looks past the endurance of the cross and its shame to the joy. Right? And we're not going to stay right there for very long right now because we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But I want you to notice he looks past. He's not looking only at the cross and the shame and the, dis and the difficulty of that. He's looking at what's on the other side of it. I don't know if I could have done that. Because for Jesus in that time, let's be really honest, everyone that he loved, everyone that he knew, Everyone that walked with him is going to abandon him. In his darkest hour, his best friends are nowhere. Yet he somehow looks past that. That somehow is by faith. Because he has thrown off all that entangles. For him in his humanity, that's all the emotion, all the knowledge of what's happening, all the difficulty. He throws it all off, and by faith, he has joy. So you're probably wondering by now, like, how do I get to the joy? Because I don't want to do that cross thing. 
I'm sorry, but we got to do the cross, right? And I will say that again later. But what Jesus does do is he gives us a map. He talks about being the, the pioneer. We've also heard it in some translation as the author. So what that means is that Jesus is the trailblazer. He goes before us. He clears the path for us to get to where we're going. He's the one that goes first, breaks the cultural norms, flips the world on its head, right? One commentator said, he is the great leader and the precedence of our faith because he trusted in God. He chose to come and clear the way. I think that's important that he, we know that he chose this. But what's really interesting to me is that at this time, the Jewish leaders are expecting that this Messiah is going to be a military commander, that he's going to come in and he's going to overthrow the Roman oppressors. That's how he's going to set them free. That he's going to make Israel a free people of fierce power. But that's not what happens, because he throws it all upside down and does something completely different because he comes and instead of coming in by force, like he's not riding in with the tanks. This is not that scene. What's that movie with the flight of the bumblebee? Dun, 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 dun. Like it's not that. He's coming in and he's loving the outcasts and the unclean, the overlooked, the abused, the ignored and forgotten. He came to set captives free but that did not mean that he was going to overthrow the Roman government. He meant that he was going to create a pathway back to God because Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. Now, the next part of verse 2, Jesus is the finisher of our faith. Another way to say that is the perfecter, depending on which translation you look at. You see, we talked about the cloud of witnesses that their faith wasn't finished, Right? There's still this gap between God and man. Jesus came to finish it. Instead, it, it, At the time, it was still the daily grind of constant indebtedness to sin and the offering of sacrifices. And Jesus is the one who came to end that, to finish what we started when we believed the lie at the beginning. Think about that. Jesus as the finisher. As a human born in this broken world, we are prone to sin. We are in debt to God automatically. Jesus came to pay that balance. The balance of that debt, because we can't pay it, because the balance is death. The cost is death. Let me, let me maybe make, some, make a little bit more tangible example. We've been talking a lot. We had budget class. We got financial peace coming up next year. We talk a lot. Like my brain is on high interest loans and, and like how to get out of debt, right? So you think about that high interest loan. If you, don't, if you don't have a whole lot of income, you're making that payment. And the likelihood is, is you can only afford the minimum, right? So that $27,000 car just became $60,000 or more over the next four years, depending on your credit and a whole bunch of other factors, but now you've almost tripled the cost of that vehicle by this loan. But what if there's more? Like, you got a credit card. You got the Victoria's Secret card or the Kohl's card 
or the pick your favorite store card or the Amex that gets you the airline miles, right? All those payments add up and eventually all of your income is sucked up and there's nothing left and you find yourself treading right about here. So the water is up here and you can't get out of it. No matter how much you strive, no matter how much you work, you're stuck. What does stuck look like? Stuck looks like driving an hour each way, sitting in traffic, all the stress of that, the stress of the job that you don't love, that doesn't really fit, that isn't walking in the purpose that God has you for. That's all of this. Jesus came and said, I'm going to write you a check. I'm going to pay it off. All of it. All of it. He says, my people are not going to live this way. My people are not going to be buried in sin. They're not going to be killed by it. Not anymore. As the perfecter of our faith, he closes the gap between us and God. He pays the bill and rescued us from that death. It is finished with him. So let me ask you, if you're like me, and I'm hyper-analytical, like I love the research, and I want to know all the facts behind it, because I don't like to go say things that are wrong. How do we know that he did that? Jesus fulfilled more than 300 prophecies from the Old Testament for hundreds of years before he ever walked this earth. Now, in the interest of your time and mine, because we would all like to get to lunch at some point, we're going to just briefly touch on eight. Can you put that slide up? Um, Starts with the time of his birth. So these are the these are the eight. Like these are some pretty key things that Jesus did. The time of his birth, he fulfilled that. Born in Bethlehem, yep, got it. Born of a virgin, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, mocked, crucified, pierced, die with the wicked and be buried with the rich. Jesus fulfilled all of those and so many more. You see, by coming and fulfilling all of those, Jesus fulfilled his promise. Jesus fulfilled God's promise to his people. Jesus is indeed the finisher of our faith. Now, in that same vein of research, I have been told that the 30-somethings, that generation, the the 20s and 30s right now, that you can't just give them an assignment. Like we have generational training at, at my old job that learned how to explain to them why what they're doing why they have to do what they're doing. Because you can't just say, like for, for my husband who's a baby boomer or on the end of the baby boomer, you, you give him something to do, he's just going to go do it. He's not going like, to question everybody else, maybe children, maybe just me, maybe I'm weird, I don't know. But I'm always, I want to know why. Why? Why would anyone in their right mind Leave the perfection and the glory of heaven to come down to earth to be brutalized, humiliated, abandoned, neglected by a bunch of selfish, ungrateful know-it-alls like me. But that's the choice that Jesus made. It makes no sense whatsoever. So the verse says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and its scorning shame. What does that mean? You know, earlier I talked about Jesus looked through, he looked past the cross to the joy. 
We still can't get to the joy yet. We know why. He's looking at the joy, but we still got to get to the cross. You see, Jesus, um, sorry, God required people in the Old Testament to make sacrifices. Each one of those sacrifices pointed back to Jesus, but there were daily, monthly, weekly, even annual sacrifices that they had to do to be able to be in right standing with God. This is the only way. But we're only going to talk about one because, again, in the interest of time, I love you all, and I'm hungry. Um, The sacrifice is atonement, right? So this is the payment for sin. Now, in ancient Israel, that was achieved by bringing the firstborn, unblemished, perfect lamb whose blood paid for sin. Jesus is that lamb. How? Because he's fully innocent, he's fully man, and he's fully divine. And he's the only one that could have fulfilled this, because otherwise we'd still be sacrificing lambs. As fully man, he was born an infant, he grew up, he lived, he died, right? He, he, he walked, he talked, he ate, he slept, he worked, he was tired, he was tempted. In the wilderness, he was tempted by, by the devil, specifically Matthew 4, 6. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil was trying to convince Jesus to walk away from the path of humanity, to walk away from the path of the cross and not stay human because then it doesn't work, right? If he goes back into his divinity, then it doesn't work anymore. Let me read you. Um, Jesus also felt our pain and our anguish, in particular in Gethsemane. Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Another verse is going a little further. He fell his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He went a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, but may your will be done. Matthew 36, 38 and 39, and verse 42. You see, what happened there is Jesus chose to stay weak and humble and human and frail. Jesus is also fully divine. This is kind of my favorite Jesus. This is the one that did all the miracles and the signs and wonders and stuff, right? But I think we take it too lightly sometimes, right? Jesus turned water into wine. Okay, guys, he altered the molecular structure of H2O and turned it into wine, okay? That's kind of a miraculous thing, right? That's the first miracle that Jesus did. It demonstrates, though, that he has authority over earthly things, Jesus demonstrated his divine authority over nature. He calmed storms. He commanded the wind and the waves. We got multiple examples of that in scriptures. And even the disciples said, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? 
He demonstrated his spiritual authority, casting out demons. Two in particular always come to mind. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. And then the demoniac who had legion, which means many, right? But what we tend to forget is that that was, that was something that was only God's authority to do. It says more in Luke 8 and Mark 5 if you're interested. But one of the biggest reasons I think that the, uh, this is my opinion, uh, one of the biggest reasons I think the Pharisees were in such an uproar about what Jesus was doing is because he was forgiving sins, and that was blasphemy. Only God is allowed to forgive sins, according to Jewish tradition. And the last point about that, about this, as the perfect sacrifice, is that Jesus was not only fully man and fully divine, but he was fully innocent because he did not sin. There's a slide that says he offered himself. No, he offered himself. There's a series of scriptures. There you go. Offered himself unblemished to God, a lamb without blemish. In him there is no sin. He became sin who had no sin. I need to explain that last one a little bit. You see, Jesus saw all of the humanity's sin, all of us, from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve to the present, to the present at the time he walked the earth, to now, to forward, until he returns. He saw all of that sin, all of which the punishment is death for each of us. Like, you guys do the math. I'm not doing the math. I'm really bad at it. I'm really bad at math. But Jesus saw it all and took it all upon himself to suffer and die for us. He willingly, he who did not sin, became the perfect sacrifice, the ultimate atonement sacrifice. And that feels heavy. It feels dark and it feels very bloody because it really is. But can I shift your perspective? Said we were going to do that a lot today. Shift your perspective because that's a a point of great celebration. Because he was willing to do that, we are now righteous and blameless by faith to the Father. By what was given to Jesus, we get that now. Like, we should be jumping up and down going, woohoo, yes! Oh, maybe we're still stinging from the cross a little bit. So let's read with uh, verse, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, a lot of this we have talked about already, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna over, go over all of that, but we are gonna talk about the great high priest bit. That's really important. We have to understand that the great high, the high priest 
in Jewish tradition as the one who went into the holies of holies, right? He's the one who took the lamb, took the sacrifice, and did all of the rituals that put us into right standing. He is the one that went to the place that nobody else could go. But Jesus is not that high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. Those are just a copy. Those are something to help us understand what he was doing for us. But as our intercessor, this is what he's doing. When he was resurrected and he returned to heaven, he takes his place seated at the right hand of the throne of grace. Okay, maybe, maybe a, a more current, tangible, very American example. He is the filter on our photographs. Like, get your phones out. Y'all know, like, whether you do Snapchat or Facebook or, or you're just trying to enhance your pictures. Jesus is the filter that God sees us through now. When we have faith in Jesus and who he is and what he did for us, God now sees us as Jesus, perfect and unblemished and without sin, righteous, blameless. We get to receive all the grace and mercy, all the forgiveness that was entitled to Jesus. It's our free gift now. Jesus, as our high priest, also prays for us to the Father. In John 17, he was praying over the disciples and he's praying over us. And I'm going to paraphrase that. He prays in the Father's name that the name of his Father gave him. He prays a prayer of unity, a prayer of compassion, love, mercy, and grace. He says, I want them to be with me and see my glory. I made you known to them and will continue in order that that love for, that you have for me will be in them. You guys, that's good news. He covers us with grace and mercy and love, forgiveness. So let's go back to Hebrews 12, verses 1. I'm sorry, I don't think I asked you guys to have that one prepared for right now. Therefore, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that entangles us so easily. Let us run this race with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. Let me ask you something. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? How are we doing with walking in grace and mercy and forgiveness? How are we doing with running with perseverance and not getting tired? Hmm. I heard that. How are we doing when we want to quit? Where are we going to get our help? Are we trying to do it on our own? Because I'm guilty of that all the time. Like, that's my default. I have to constantly be like, nope, wait, let me shift gears. Or are we looking to our great high priest are we looking to the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who now sits in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God and intercedes on our behalf? Jesus says, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Guys, that's what we're talking about. If you're willing to believe to have the faith in Jesus, when we run the race he has for us, he guides us, he makes a way, he directs, he empowers, he gives us all that we need. 
as I close and you ponder where you are in this race, let me read something that Isaiah said. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. So where does your strength come from, Bridge Church? How are you running the race? How are you throwing off what entangles you? Pastor Jen? Thanks, Jessica. <clears throat> Before I pray, there's just a few things I want to, I don't know, foot stomp, <laughs> reiterate. I'm not sure what the right word is, but like we're starting this series all about Jesus so that we can get to Christmas Eve celebrating what Jesus has actually done with us, for us through us, in us, all the things, right? And, and today lays this foundation. And, and I love the points Jessica hit on because we talk all the time about running this race of faith, but Jesus is the pioneer. Guys, there wasn't a race to run before Jesus the pioneer cut the trail. There was wilderness, there, there, there wasn't a track, there wasn't a stadium, there wasn't a path, there was no 13.1 or 26.2 miles laid out. There was none of that. There was wilderness. And Jesus, as a pioneer, said, I'm going to cut the trail so there's a path for you guys to get to. And because he perfected it, there's a finish line. Otherwise, there's a never-ending race. <laughs> But because he perfected it, he created this finish line so that we could come across it. And I love the picture she put up, like, what is hindering you? All the gear, the knee pads, the stuff, what are you putting on that Jesus never asked you to carry to get through? And then what are the little trips, the snares, the sins that entangle you? Because not only did Jesus blaze the trail, make the path, create a finish line that we could get across, not only do we have this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on to our faith, but then he's the high priest. He didn't do it and forget it. <laughs> like, man, the one time I did a half marathon, I did it and I forgot it to never go back again, right? <laughs> but... But Jesus didn't do it and forget it. He did it, laid it out, created a finish line, and now is our high priest. When the cloud of witnesses around us isn't enough, when we are struggling in our faith, when we are overwhelmed by the politics of the day or the sin that entangles or the one more bout of COVID or the whatever the thing is, the mountain of debt... Not only did Jesus give us a finish line to cross... But he, as our high priest, he is cheering us on saying, I am praying for you. Sometimes during the week, I'll text you guys praying for you. How can I pray for you? Do you know the scripture says Jesus is actually up in heaven praying for you? When I am struggling, Jesus is praying for me. When you are struggling, the high priest is praying for you. And all his mercy and grace is blanketing you as the crowd is cheering you on to get across the finish line, lifting you up. And that's what we have. Yeah. 
So Heavenly Father God, we come before you today. Lord, grateful and humbled, grateful for these lessons that are hard sometimes to be tangible, hard to grasp. Our finite minds cannot grasp your infinite grace. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you would allow us to have that spark, that glimmer, that taste of all that you've done for us. That as the holiday season kicks off this week and we sit around the table and we talk about what we're thankful for, that first and foremost is Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. As we walk into some often tense family situations. It's Jesus who's praying that we have patience and grace with our words, that our hearts are protected, that the joy, that the joy that we are grateful for doesn't just come from the happiness of the gathering, but the joy of what's on the other side of the cross. Jesus, be at the center. Help us to not only grasp, not only remember, but live our lives to have our breath and being in the fact that we are complete in you. That even when we mess up, there is not shame. There's conviction. There's all right. Dust your boots off and get it right. But we don't even have to pick ourselves up. And and God doesn't see our sin. We're not stuck in that gap loan that you can never pay off because you did that for us. God sees us through the Jesus lens that is perfect and righteous and holy. Give us eyes to see. Give us minds to comprehend. And give us humble hearts that quit trying to do it on our own. But lean into you. God, we love you. And I I just pray more than ever that, that this next five, six weeks leading up to the celebration of your birth, that we would gain a greater knowledge of who you are and in that walk in greater joy and greater freedom and greater love. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.